Hello everyone and welcome back to Straight White Whale. My name is Darren Connell and this is my podcast. Let's get into the ad reads. Today's podcast is sponsored by Lamb Solutions Limited, my good friend Michael Burns. If you're needing any work done in your house, Michael Burns is a tradesman that can go to your house and check out what you need to get done. Kitchens, pipe work, bathrooms, anything like that, Michael can do it. So you'll see his number pop up on the screen, give him a phone, he'll go to your house and he'll give you a price. If you quote Darren Connell or Straight White Whale, he will give you a discount. As simple as that. So thank you very much to Michael Burns for sponsoring the podcast. He actually phoned me yesterday, Paul, and he said, um, you'll, you'll need to stop uh, taking calls. I thought you were going to say you need to stop sponsorship. I was like, I'll be burning your system, but he needs to <laughs> so, stop taking calls. Pa- Patreon members or stuff are like, oh, Michael's coming up to my house today, the kitchen. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So Ali, our guest, if you ever need your kitchen fitted, mate, um, a guy that I used to take drugs with um, <laughs> in school <laughs> can come up and fit your kitchen. Oh, look how far he's both come now. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Ali Houston, a dear friend of mine, we go way back many, many years in the comedy circuit and now you've kind of took your own path into other things through, I mean, it's very hard to explain Um, your health. What am I? Yes. What the hell am I? (laughs) (laughs) You ask yourself that every morning when you wake (laughs) up, like, what am I? Yeah. We had uh, we watched a video, didn't we, for TikTok the other week? I don't know if you've seen this callback to a... Is that for Patreon? I don't I can't remember. Was that Patreon only? This is a callback. Anyway, just to... I don't know why this has come up, but we watched this... Uh, she's a prof- she's a animal psychologist, and she's taught her dog how to communicate through these buttons in the floor. So it started with one button, which was, like, food. Mm-hmm. And over the years, it's developed, and now there's, like, 40 buttons, and the fucking thing can pretty much speak to her. Shit. And um, we watched a video on TikTok where it was like, when, so the dog's called Bunny, and it's got a button for the question, which is, hmm? So it presses the button, and she goes, what, what's wrong, Bun? And it goes, when, no more Bunny. Oh, my God. So just as that existential, it's not just you that wakes up in the morning and asks yourself, like, what am I? But literally, it's looking at itself in the mirror and going, what? And looking at the mirror, and she's like, that's Bunny. And this dog is having a fucking midlife crisis yeah that's like that uh, Bill Hicks joke about um, someone not understanding what's happening it's like a dog that's been shown a card trick but I guess like they're just not that impressed they do do know what's going on (laughs) imagine if Bunny was like pressed a button and then it says Lamb Solutions Limited (laughs) I want my my bathroom fitted so Ali thank you very much for joining us in the podcast mate it's much appreciated um Ali's a health coach um that he does very well with nutrition used to be a stand-up comedian and I'd like to kind of talk to you about all that stuff today but would you like to explain to my punters um what what you do in life without me without me trying to swallow my fucking tongue (laughs) (laughs) hi yeah it is a little bit kind of mixed you know my background is like when I first left school, I worked in restaurants for a few years. So I tried uni, didn't work. I had, um, I ended up being sort of flashing forward 
15, 20 years, I, I ended up with an ADHD diagnosis as an adult. But when I was a teenager, I thought, well, you know, and by the way, I came in today having just list, been listening to your latest episode um, with James. And so it was weird coming in and seeing you two. I was kind of like, where's James? You know, because I'd just <laughs> been listening. But, um, and I love the show and I really appreciate you getting me on. Um, and, you know, me be, me being someone with uh, that Glasgow Uni accent, you know. Uh, and so all my mates were doing that. But I, I tried it for a few months and I never really dropped in, never mind dropping out. I was working in restaurants. I enjoyed that, but it's quite an unhealthy lifestyle. So I was drinking a lot, um, you know, doing all that kind of thing. And that got old quite quickly. And I thought, right, I'll go to uni because it seems like that's the thing to do. Ended up a few years later, kind of, you know, hacking through all these ADHD type symptoms and ending up with a physics degree. So I'd started off studying English and I ended up with a physics degree. So, I mean, that's like classic sort of ADHD type behavior where you've got like a million tabs open and you're just sort of <laughs> going from one thing to another without really um, feeling like you're making a choice. But um, I was I was working and then started doing a physics PhD and my health was like, the worst it had ever been. So it wasn't just like ADHD where it was sort of scattered attention and um, brain fog and the inability to sort of um, focus for long periods of time. It was anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, all that kind of thing. And I, that had come and gone since I was a kid as well. Plus I had all these like weird physical things wrong with me. Like it turned out they were all, you know, autoimmune problems. So when your immune system attacks your own body. So I, it was, it was very frustrating because I'd, I'd managed to get a physics degree. So I knew I wasn't like a total dimwit or anything. And then I just couldn't get my brain to work. And I was quite lucky actually at that time when I was doing the PhD, but not really doing it because my brain was sort of stuck in neutral um my supervisor who's a professor who's just recently retired uh, early um at glasgow uni he had recovered from chronic fatigue syndrome me and when he was in his early 40s he was basically told you know you're not going to work again and it was devastating you know young guy very smart professor at a young age uh, involved in the sort of international collaboration to try to find gravitational waves. So a very bright guy, and that was his life. And he couldn't walk more than about 50 yards without collapsing, basically. So this is this is maybe around about the mid, so yeah, early, maybe 2009, 2008, something like that was happening to him. And I was doing my PhD sort of 2013, 14. And he kind of noticed that there was some issues with what was going on with me that might have paralleled what, what had been going on with him. And what he'd done instead of just sort of accepting that diagnosis or prognosis was he sort of dived into the literature, which is sort of his thing of researching. And um, 
you know, read around eating in different ways. And he thought, well, I mean, that's something that I'm in control of and that I can try. And he switched his diet and he basically switched it to, I'm not sure like what people have heard of, but like a low carb or kind of sugar-free sort of keto type diet. And then within six months, he was running 10Ks again. Like going from bedridden, couldn't think straight, collapsing all the time, told he would never work again in his early 40s, six months later, running 10Ks again. Really amazing. And we can talk about ME, by the way, as well. And I've read quite a lot about that because it's one of the one of the major communities where people have to fend for themselves and work out what works for their own health because... What what does ME stand for again? Uh, in the E's encephalitis, but I can't remember. It's... I can't remember what the M is. Sorry, I mean, I mean, what what is ME? It's like chronic fatigue syndrome. So you're constantly tired. Yeah. So I remember it, it cropped, it crops up in, in TV shows from time to time, like as a storyline where someone has it and then people think, oh, is it just psycho, psychosomatic? Are they just sort of depressed or are they imagining it or are they doing it for attention? And there's still not really great answers. It's actually, I think, a a kind of cluster of illnesses that end up with a similar sort of outcome, which is that people can't get out of bed, or they can't think straight, or they can't they can't exert themselves without some sort of massive boomerang effect where they where they're knackered for days, weeks, months. It's really, really nasty. Um and I should say that what happened to my professor, Ken Strain, was he got better, but that's not the case with everyone. And that's the nature of chronic fatigue syndrome is that you're not necessarily going to get better by doing something that got someone else better. It's like a, a, a cluster of, of, of different causes probably and probably yeah. different solutions. But he said to me, look, I'm not telling you what to do. This isn't medical advice, but go away and read these things. So he told me blogs, he, he showed me, where to look on PubMed, which is like the the searchable um, medical uh, scientific publication. Uh, it's kind of search engine online. It's like Google for papers about health. So I went away and ended up reading, you know, hundreds or thousands of hours about that. And there's a lot of the stuff came up was kind of weird and counterintuitive, like, you know, um, maybe we shouldn't be eating as much things like wheat or uh, starch or um, vegetable oils or these these types of things. And um, I came away as convinced as he was. And so I thought, well, I'll give this a try. And um, I also, I'd had, you know, a real trouble kind of controlling my weight after kind of my mid to late 20s. So I was doing it for that as well. And I thought, well, um, it's worth a try. It was it was kind of like him. I'd exhausted all the possibilities with doctors. They'd diagnosed me with ADHD. They'd given me Ritalin. And I'd taken that for a while, but the effects had started to wear off. I needed to take more, but that didn't really help very much. There was negative side effects like anxiety, and I still had the underlying anxiety and, and depression. And I was overweight. So I thought, right, I'll try this. I'll go keto and see what happens. And even though I'd read the the science and um, knew the 
there's lots of cardiologists and stuff out there saying, you know, it's fine, it's 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 quite healthy. I was like, oh, when's my heart going to explode? I'm eating all this fat and and all that. But see, within about <laughs> see within about a month, my mental problems had gone away almost totally. So I had this sort of calm descend on me where I'd been anxious before, and I was able to think very clearly again. And it was like an amazing gift. You know, I got all that back. And so it was really profound. And I'd, I'd burned through a couple of years of my PhD funding at that point. And the way it works is like you can, you can keep going writing it forever, but um, you won't get funding for it after a certain point. And, you know, I need I needed money, so I I thought, well, why don't I combine what I'd learned with um, my sort of transformation and do something with that to help people like I'd been helped, and so that's what I did, and that was nearly six. That was that was about six years ago now. That's crazy, mate. Because yeah. I admit, when you were going through all that, I need for people listening to the podcast i know ali because we did stand-up comedy together i knew that you were a, a chef um i remember when you like were drinking and just being a normal stand-up comedian a bit mental and stuff and then you kind of i remember you talking about sunbeds and vitamin d then you disappeared and then you reappeared i was like what the what the fuck has happened to him <laughs> it was like the stars in the eyes like walking <laughs> through the mist um <laughs> But <clears throat> Ali's got a podcast. It's called Ali Houston Transforms Podcast. And it's really interesting. And it's about keto and low carb and low sugar and stuff. And I was a vegan. Well, I was a vegetarian for four years. And then I went vegan for two. And during lockdown, I remember we used to have very healthy debates about it. <laughs> but I, I, I think that's one of my strong points. I, I was never... I'm in this camp and you're in that camp. I was always open uh, for chat. And um, it's weird about the low carb and the low sugar thing because I've always been surrounded with people that have kind of told us not to do it. And I've never really fully focused on what they've been saying. And then it just hit us like a ton of bricks one day. I was like, what's this low carb, low sugar stuff? And I started listening to your podcast and yeah. It's um, it's really good. I can hear, I can understand what you're saying about the clarity and more energetic and all that stuff. I've been struggling for the last month, but um, when I first started doing it, it was it was pretty. It's intense. You've done it as well, haven't you? I have done keto. I did keto for two years, something like that, but. I never really got the same benefit, if, so I can I can back off it, um, and I don't know. I'm like just as you're talking, I'm like I might take you again. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I, I never, I've never, I would never say that I've suffered from depression and anxiety. I've had periods in my life where, you know, shit's not gone right, and that causes anxious thoughts and mm -hmm. anxiety in the body and stuff. But I've never had chronic or generalized anxiety. So, but I. I'll tell you, like, outside of the first two weeks, 
to a month, which is pretty hard. I think you would agree that it's fucking pretty horrific. Like, sore heads, like, you're just getting up and you're like, oh, you feel like you're towing a caravan. I would see how you get to the other side of that. Athletic performance was fucking incredible. Mm. There was, there, I felt more, I felt the energy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just like with, with the, the sort of, like I said, I've never really been depressed. Or suffered for de- I've been depressed, but I've never suffered from depression. Yeah. I've always had a clear thing in my life that I can point to and go, if I get myself out of this, I will feel better. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Um, whereas I think when people suffer from generalized anxiety, have anxiety or have depression, it's all it's you know, it's unexplainable. It's like I just feel like this, but there's nothing that I can point to in my life that I actually yeah. you know what I mean. But I know I did keto for two years. Um and I did it at a time, maybe about 2016, where it, I think it was a bit harder to do. Mm-hmm. It's a, would you agree that it's a lot easier to do, like, a ketogenic diet in 2022 than what it was, like, even going back maybe, like, six years ago? Yeah, definitely. Because I started in 2016, and there there weren't that many resources. So the kind of people who I've had on the podcast are some of the people who are originally putting out really good content on how to do it in a way that works for you, in a way that's um, healthy. And, you know, some of them are, are my heroes because I don't know what I would have done if they hadn't been there. Um, and I totally hear what you're saying about how, you know, it can be difficult to, to start. There's, there's so much going on. It's, it's, this, is, this is one of the things that makes it so exciting is that it's a very powerful intervention. So... The, the I've I've done various um, things to do with keto and low carb since I started, but the thing that I'm doing right now is launching a coaching website with a psychiatrist from Edinburgh, who is really excited about the mental health benefits of eating like that, and um, also other lifestyle tweaks because it's not just about diet. This is this is something that comes up as well as because um, I remember when I was here talking to to get, uh, Gary Goldie. I'm allowed to mention other podcasts. Yeah, of course, Gary Goldie's. I mean, we'll bleep it out. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the Brothers in Arms uh, about male mental health. It's just, it is male mental yes, health, isn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah. Male suicide prevention. We, we, suicide prevention. We've often gave him a punt on this podcast. Yeah, good yeah, lads. Yeah, very much so. And you know, we were talking a bit then. And it was about how trauma is everywhere, and it you can't you can't just undo that. There's nothing you can do to change what happened in someone's life to make them feel like they do. But why wouldn't you improve the building blocks of your brain so that it's able to deal with it? as well as it can. And that's what I found. And that's what I've had one of my last podcast guests, Siobhan, she, uh, she was, she was like that too. So she had depression from when she was a kid Um, she had weight problems. She tried every diet, she tried everything. And then her mum was on Atkins or keto. And so she thought, oh, I'll give it a try. And then um, she started losing weight, like, you tend to when you're going to diet and you're sort of determined. And then she thought, well, I mean, when's the other shoe going to drop and I'll start putting weight back on and, and feeling like shit again. And then one day 
she was in a car park and she just felt really strange and then she had to stop and she was like I don't feel depressed and that was like for the first time in about 20 years and it hasn't come back unless she's started eating the old way again so the interesting thing about trauma there is that she had stuff come up that was always there in the background but that she then sort of fought head on, went for a, a therapy session and kind of untied the knot. And she wasn't able to do that. And another one of my heroes, um, Georgia Ede, she's a, a Harvard-trained psychiatrist in America. And she spends most of her time now training other healthcare professionals on how to use ketogenic diets for mental health. And she, she's one of the OGs that I was talking about. She ha, she's got a great website called diagnosisdiet.com. And um, she kind of debunks a lot of myths around the keto diet. And she's just so lovely and careful with what she says and um, informed. And, you know, she talks about, when I was talking about trauma and how there's many ways into poor mental health. And, you know, she acknowledged that. And then she said that one of her patients had dreadful trauma from childhood but that you know before she did keto it was like here all the time right in front of her face like a hand in front of her face and then uh after she started it was like here and so okay it's still there it's not erased the memory of something dreadful but you can deal with it so that's the that's the difference and so it's funny because my background being in science, you know, the I, I don't think I would have tried the keto diet if it wasn't a physics professor who'd said to me, have you thought about it? You know, because you hear, you hear it a lot on, on social media from bros and stuff like that. And um, I guess I shouldn't be snobby about who I listen to and that regard but i am um at least you're being honest as well by the way i mean how how are you meant to decide who to listen to yeah do you know what i mean like you um we can't know everything none of us can know everything you got like uh you want an iphone but you know you shouldn't be expected to know how to build one so who do you trust to tell you things i mean how do you go about that well, and I actually, another way of saying that, because I know you said that looking back at being vegan sometimes felt like a bit of a cult. Yeah. And then I, so I asked you, well, how do you know that working with me doing keto, you're not part of a cult? I agree with that, mate. Before I tried keto, I did think you were a bit culty, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was it the robes or the <laughs> no i was like you kind of look like a cyborg man like <laughs> i'm like give him a blood test because it's like 80 percent human uh the rest is like terminator <laughs> i think both sides can be as bad as each other but from my living experience and the, the the vegan community i've seen it for what it was there is some amazing vegan people there that are mm -hmm. doing it for the right yeah. reasons i've met some amazing people that are still my friends like um health experts and stuff and 
from my own experience, I, I believe that a vegan diet can be healthy for you, but it is unbelievably hard. You need supplements and it's like what you says, it doesn't work for everybody. For, mm. for a year of my life, I was incredibly healthy, felt fantastic. Second year of COVID, I started eating fake meat, all that stuff, chips, crisps, stress eating, chocolate, and um, I seen my body fail in front of me. Like I was, I've spoke about this on the podcast. I had these two cuts like in my neck that just were not healing. Um, I often donated blood. I remember going to donate blood once and they never took blood. Um, my family members started to tell me that my skin colour was changing to a, a greyer colour. And I did feel it. And I'm not lying because I, I do believe a vegan diet done properly is good for you. But the majority of people don't do it properly. Um, and also like... I was eating food that looked like Homer Simpson fucking food. And you think, oh, that's good for you. You're looking at an, uh, vegan eggs and you're looking at the ingredients of a, a vegan egg and you're like, why is there 79 things in this mm -hmm. egg? And you do get caught up in it. You, you do get caught up in the yeah. uh, egg ski cancer. veganism as well, like, see, because it's sort of intertwined with social justice or some sort of, like activism it gets very muddied like we've spoke about this i think i've never on mic but off mic well somebody says to me like oh, i'm a vegan i'm sort of in my head thinking what type of vegan are they are they a health vegan you know it's for health reasons are they you know i'm against the cruelty animals or are they like you know i'm looking for a tribe mm. and i've found my tribe and you know this thing and i'm gonna like i'll cut you if you if you're not vegan and i don't want to speak to people who are not vegan and it's weird how diets have ended up with that, isn't it? Like they're now part strange. of people's identity in the world and differentiates them from Aye. the person that's next to them. Aye, I mean, I don't know if if it's just because the way the world works now, how it's incentivized on social media, you want to show people how virtuous you are. You, you know, nobody goes to church anymore. So what do you do? Um, you pick a side. But why diet? It's, it is a bit strange, isn't it? Like when we were, you know, I always think like, if you think about it in terms of evolution, you sometimes come up with a reasonable answer. But I suppose if something was poisonous, you wouldn't want to eat it. But is or, you know, if you've only got limited food in a tribe, maybe you would have to all agree on how to eat or something like that. But yeah. It is a wee bit strange, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, maybe culture more than tribe. Maybe take maybe no go as far back as the tribe, but definitely culturally we've got our own foods. You know, yeah. like Italian pasta and what's America's just ripped everything off. But what I mean, I always think British it's like fish and chips. It's mm -hmm. like actually French fries and uh, deep fried fish comes phasia. So like that's not ours either. But no, but we have like this weird thing with food. I think that's come over the last sort of couple of hundred years, and then you know things like the burrito. And the past day was made for working class people. And so it comes into sort of classism. But I think that's what's put you off. Like you're talking about the cult. It's more people's identity gets brought into their diet mm -hmm. rather yeah. than, you know, like, and they get a bit like aggressive when you, when you don't. The first time I experienced something with veganism that I didn't enjoy was I bumped into 
some activists in the middle of the street and there was about five of them and it was maybe six months into being a vegan and I was like this is incredible my physical health feels so good and my mental health feels so good and she kind of shushed me we don't really care about your mental health it's all about animals and I was like I completely understand that and I support that but my mental health is also fantastic and she was like yeah we, we don't care and I was standing in the middle of the street like what an arsehole but it started with um, Peru with me when I went over to do ayahuasca mm-hmm. there was 13 people there mm-hmm. and about nine of them were plant-based I'm standing there 20 stone junk food diet desperate suicidal on the verge of a relapse and I'm thinking what the fuck is plant-based I've never heard of that and I'm looking at all these cool people that are so chilled out and then after I did six ayahuasca sessions I was like I'm going to try that veganism and then that's how I got into it but I've looking back on it I know that when you remove junk food from your diet which was essentially just kebab meat which I lived on right (laughs) when you remove that from your diet (laughs) and you remove like full fat fizzy juice and chocolate and all that shit you're gonna feel amazing I know that now looking back and then when I was eating salads I was having like you know 20 different things in a salad so essentially I was just living poisoned Mm -hmm. for a very long time removed all that shit put in veg and fruit and vitamins I took away the bad stuff yeah but then the second year um I, I found out the hard way to be honest but um I've noticed like everything you spoke about there like because even when I've been healthy I've always ate carbs but when I went to low carb and low sugar I started at the start of December and I did right up really fantastic right up to the bells and then January I started to get the winter blues Mm -hmm. and I've been I've what I'm going through right now is I'm keto for four days and then I'm fucking it for two days and then Mm -hmm. I'm back to keto Mm -hmm. but for that entire month you're talking about your friend that wanted to run i was sitting on the couch and i'm rattling so much with energy i did think like have i got bipolar i think i might (laughs) i think i might have bipolar normal energy levels are returning because i was so happy but and i was like i want to run and Mm. i did notice like i I sunk in i mean i've not put on a crazy amount of weight i actually feel really good for Uh like a normal guy i feel really good but i noticed like within five days of keto i was like what the fuck is happening here like uh, my t-shirt's getting baggy and Mm -hmm. i i felt great a question i've got for you um is how much like diet culture's mental like it's getting i mean instagram and tiktok and that it's getting put on steroids right mm-hmm. and see a lot of look I, I mean i am part of this tribe so i can take a piss at it like straight white men who are like used to be telling you to get you know ripped for your photo shoot who are now like you know it's intuitive eating and blah 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 but they they, they all seem to say this one thing that things like keto are too extreme nobody can adhere to it long term it's an impossible thing to stick to now obviously that's going to make your job harder but see as you're talking about like the positive mental health impact to that i'm like they could be really damaging people because that's just an idea and if people go to them looking for help 
and they say that's impossible nobody can adhere to that what you need is like a balanced diet which i get is probably okay advice you know to say to somebody have a balanced diet but would he how hard do you find it to stick to what's seen as like an extreme diet for me it's quite easy um but not always and it's going to vary from individual to individual so one thing that i love about coaching and that i think coaching clients really like about the process and you can talk about that darren because you know we've recorded an episode when we started that process and yeah. uh, that'll that'll go out at some point um but you know that when when you when i start talking to a client about what they want to do with their diet usually they've come to me knowing what my background is what i know and they are talking about paleo or keto or carnivore way of eating so they know a little bit um but i one of the first things i ask them is what do you really like to eat and normally that takes them aback because i think they're kind of like clenched expecting like a sort of folder full of recipes that they have to follow to get it right and if they deviate at all then they'll get kicked out of ketosis and bad things will happen and if they you know have one slip up then it's all over and all the rest of it but starting with foods you actually like i think makes it far more sustainable so for most people um, there's things about paleo or keto or carnivore that could benefit them massively in terms of their um their physical mental health um that they already eat that they really really like so a lot of the time it's just about working out what you're already eating that fits that and then sort of removing the other stuff mm -hmm. and i think that's what really makes it sustainable is making it enjoyable i think you're right that it can be damaging if people say that it's not sustainable because i mean it, it's harder to sustain if you don't have support and if someone you're turning to for support is saying it's not sustainable then mm -hmm. that's not support so i can understand why some coaches or or bros or doctors or whoever kind of think that it is unsustainable because people find it too hard it's because they maybe don't know enough about it to recommend things that could help they also maybe haven't been close enough to the, the kind of positive changes that i went through and that some of my clients have gone through and that lots of other people online have gone through mm -hmm. um to know how powerful it can be mm -hmm. so they just don't um think it's worth it to suggest to someone that they maybe have to make it a little bit awkward when they go around to someone's house for dinner yeah because you know, that's about what it amounts to in the end which isn't nothing that is awkward um but i i find it easy one of the main reasons is that if i if i don't eat like this then i notice really negative things happening straight away mm -hmm. which isn't true for everyone if someone's yeah. if someone's just doing it to control their their weight or their diabetes then and they're and they're at an early stage in that then they can drift back into years of be, of having an extra one two three stone on and uh, 
they 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 just decide that eating chocolate ice cream whatever it is all the rest of it is worth the the, the trade off yeah pain. yeah I had a dog like I had a this is how I, I like just to explain to people well, obviously like people listen to the podcast and don't know who you are or yeah. you know like social proof and stuff like that yeah I had a Domino's pizza one time and I woke up and I felt I had a hangover I literally felt and it was like worse than a hangover because my joints and everything were like on fire and I was like that was that pizza I just knew that was that pizza that I ate last night that's done this to me and the amount of sugar that's in the sauces and that obviously if you go yeah. and get like a Roman style yeah, it's gonna it's probably not a like sourdough or whatever it's probably not gonna it was a Domino's it's junk but it literally made me feel like I had had like 10 pints the night before that's how bad it was yeah. so I get that like I totally get that and inflammation's like horrific you know what I mean and like I think my partner's granny um, she had like arthritis for years and we put her on not even keto like a reduced carb diet like what right no bread or something like that and she was like two weeks later like pure I've not felt like this in like 20 years that's brilliant which is unbelievable, really, and, and I've told that to people, and they're like, "Really?" And I'm like, "I'm fucking telling you." Well, you know, I, I co-wrote a cookbook with a friend of mine, very talented chef, John Meekin, and the doctor who did the foreword for it is based in Southport, which is just north of Liverpool, and he's been doing the low carb with his patients for like ten years. So it was one of his patients came in. The doctor David Unwin had really got sick of doing medicine and he was thinking about retiring early he had a, a he always had a packet of biscuits in his desk and he would describe patients depending on the, whether they were like a one two or three biscuit patient about how sort of sad they made them basically <laughs> i mean <laughs> he wasn't having a good time as a doctor <laughs> and then one day this woman comes in she'd she'd been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and she'd lost loads of weight her blood uh, Tess had come back and she was essentially like on the road to remission from type 2 diabetes which is considered to, to be a kind of chronic condition that gets worse and he got curious and he just said well what did you do and she said well I was on diabetes.co.uk uh, the, the, the forum on that and people were talking about low carb so I cut out starch and sugar um, and here I am so he started doing it himself. He lost a wee bit of weight. He started offering it to patients. And 10 years later, um, he saves his practice £60,000 a year on diabetes drugs alone compared to the nearby uh, GP practices. And if you, um, if you extrapolated that out to the whole of the NHS, then you're talking hundreds of millions just in diabetes drugs alone but that's not the most important thing he's deprescribing antidepressants and anti-anxieties because people just feel calmer and happier and more centered and um they're happier that's the main thing they're not they're not uh, worried about their health in the same way either they're not having to get diabetic foot amputations and all that you know what i mean it's uh, it's really amazing so his work's starting to get really noticed. Like it's in the Daily Mail, Daily Te the the Telegraph ran it. Um, I'm sure there's some papers that aren't Tory that have talked about it, but um, he's he's very very impressive. 
guy and um it's all he he had to get a a, a statistician professor involved because he had the exact same experience that you did when he was telling his doctor colleagues what was happening at his surgery they were sort of nodding mm-hmm. and he knew they didn't believe him or they thought he was making it up yeah. or exaggerating mm-hmm. or something so he got this he got this stats guy involved so that you could like check the working if you like um but yeah i i stay on it quite easily because if i don't i get really anxious again my mood tanks i put on weight like that um and people say oh but you're dead thin you don't need to be on a diet not realizing that like i used to carry when i was at my heaviest i was probably 14 and a half stone and when i lost the weight initially i went down to about 11 so i was carrying like three and a half stone of of extra that i didn't want um and i've i've been able to keep it off quite easily mm. so yeah and i've i've got i've developed these i developed this chocolate that i sell now which is kind of like i i kind of think of it as like methadone for sugar addicts <laughs> you know like a bridge away from the worst yeah you know i i think you and i are similar in that respect we find it quite hard to stay away from sugar mm-hmm. and once once we start then it's like the floodgates open sometimes yeah and it taps into something um i can have a bottle of lucasid when i'm feeling tired i'll have one bottle of lucasid and then the next thing i know that's me had a bottle of lucasid for 19 days in a row mm-hmm. well, right. I'm, I'm the exact same um I'm, I'm the exact same i'm a total sugar addict i can like i just eat it all the time or else i don't have it you know like i do that sort of flip-flop thing i'm currently in a phase right now where i've been eating a lot of shite that's because i started a business so like the last two years like my fitness and nutrition has just went out the window as i've like decided to stop distracting myself for the other things in life with that and decided i need to like build a life because before this it was just not a corporate job and just droning along through fucking the days well, I need to get, I want to get back to it and, and I really do. And this is like inspiring me. I don't know if this is like the universe giving me something or whatever, like that you've come in the day because I didn't know that Don was going to bring you in. But I'm the exact same. But see, when I think about it, I used to pacify myself as a kid with it. Mm. See, whenever like I get into trouble or whatever, if I had money, I'd go to the shop and I'd get sweeties. And I was a fat Wayne as well. But I totally, I remember like, you know, like period of like fighting and sc- so I've got a lot of, spoke about this a lot in the podcast i've got a lot of shame about how violent i was as a kid mm. because basically my dad was like you need to be violent you're mm. a man more violent you know sort yeah i've heard up. some of the stories but i've heard some of the stories about uh the environment you were in as well yeah like i grew up in the housing scheme and i had to fight yeah lot. so but i used to i can remember times where i would like eat astro belts after fighting like right after a fight would go you know and just eat I've got this one memory of just munching astral belts. Mm. And I think I've just pacified my emotions with sugar. So I have an emotional connection to chocolate, 100%, and I know that. So and I'm that would come way before drink or way anything Way before else. anything, like, feel like the, the, the second I can remember. Um, and I remember one time I get into trouble and I went to the shop and I shoved a full dairy milk in my mouth and just went... <laughs> and just... And my sister was like... <laughs> 
I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Do you know what I mean? And I think back to it and I think like, I've totally been trying to like get rid of these difficult emotions by eating chocolate and yeah. by eating crisps and drinking Coca-Cola. Yeah. Like totally. So I, I think that's my connection to it. So when I eat, I feel happy. Mm. Like, see, like, see like the 10, 15 minutes after I have a Big Mac, I'm like, I'm in total state of euphoria. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> when I sit and I'm like, I feel so happy. And then about 15, 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh my God, here it comes. Here and comes like the a, pain. A cloud comes over you and you just feel your stomach starts to hurt and you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't ate that. Mm. But I've, I don't know if that's the same for you, but I've figured that out for myself that I am 100% an emotional eater. Yeah. And it stems from the fact that when I was a kid, I didn't get the emotional support from my parents that I needed. I got it for the corner shop. A hundred percent. That's why I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I, I understand. I get it. I get what yeah. you're saying. I think that's where, see what you're, I was talking about. And I think we were like alluding to like skepticism. Mm -hmm. So what does, what goes on in the, the person's mind when they hear, if you ate a healthier diet, maybe you wouldn't have these problems. I think is an emotional pushback of like, I can't do that though. Do you know what I mean? And it's oh, almost yeah, like a, absolutely. A, a fight of like, no, fuck that. That can't be real because I don't want to do that because I get so much in my good feelings for, you know, what I eat for my dinner. Yeah. I mean, I, I know from what you've told me, Darren, that that's similar, a similar experience. And my mum's told me that, that um, when she was wee, her mum would come visit her and pass from like uh, Highland Toffee through the, the gates. So it felt like, an expression of love and it became a way to instantly tap into that in difficult times she's a counselor and similar to david unwin who had like a three patient uh, sorry a three biscuit patient my mum might have a a, a a counseling client who is like a, a sort of pint of ice cream client because it triggers things in us going through hard times and then yeah we want to cover it with stuff and i i think i used to smoke cigarettes because of that um it was a way of sort of regulating my emotions similarly with with uh with drinking alcohol which i don't do anymore except in very special occasions just because the few days after it just aren't worth it um <laughs> and you talking about eating emotionally i feel like we've got different types of hunger and we will act on it so I think we've got a hunger for calories because we need them to fuel our metabolism, you know, our energy production in our body and our, uh, you know, and what I'm particularly interested in is how that works in the brain as well. But then we've also got uh, the need for protein to rebuild what's in us mm -hmm. and for the vitamins and minerals. So I'd say there's like three types of hunger for calories vitamins and minerals and and protein amino mm -hmm. acids that are positive and that we we can um deal with and understand and be intuitive eaters around but emotional hunger is the thing that tends to stick the oar right in and that when that takes over it's really hard to get the other hungers to dominate um and that's when you need it the most when it's you're finding it the hardest 
Yeah. Yeah. I think like coming into that comes so much. Like I'm thinking about like atomic habits, mm-hmm. like response to stimuli. How much that like if you feel like if your body is like I need fruit and veg, but you respond to that stimuli by eating a bar of chocolate, then your body's going to get used to the bar of chocolate for every type of fucking hunger that yeah. you feel rather than like, so you could eat like so much food, but actually your body's like, I still need protein. Like give me more fucking food and then you give it more crap. You know what I mean? And so you need to like, I suppose you need to work on your response to hunger as well. And I think like, I remember watching this thing. I don't know. Like I spoke to somebody about this a couple of weeks ago. It was like 300 pound dad or something where they took the side of the house off to get this guy out of the house to a hospital mm-hmm. and he pressed a panic button in the middle of the night and was like i don't know what this feeling is in my body i'm panicking and when they spoke to him they were like you're hungry and it turned out the guy hungry for the first time in 10 years oh my god so they were like when was the last time you felt with this and the guy was like i don't know like 10 years ago wow so that is not somebody that's feeling even hungry that's yeah. eating it's that emotional hunger that you're talking about like they're feeding their emotions and you kind of get away from difficult emotions in life. So if you respond to that by drinking, smoking, taking drugs, food, it's <coughs> like you're going to just, uh, you're on a bad road, I suppose, aren't you? Yeah. And I would, you know, I I, I don't think that eating is, is or changing your diet is necessarily going to be um, like something that, that uh, cures people 100% of the time and that, you know that you don't need to deal with that stuff like i say siobhan who was on my podcast uh felt much more able to deal with it and she went and got some therapy i've had therapy you've had therapy you're a I've cbt therapy therapist and i'm a therapist yeah advocate 100 <laughs> so we're all advocates of it but um you know the, the stories coming out about uh the benefits of keto specifically for mental health are really really striking like starting with Georgia, uh, who whose course I did, um, she I asked her, and when she came on my podcast, what was a win like when you were practicing psychiatrist with kind of conventional methods, mainly using like drug therapy, like antidepressants, anti anxieties, and that kind of thing, versus a win now that you're using nutrition? And she said, "Well, a win, a really good win, used to be, and she was a." So she she trained in the Harvard system and then she she worked at Harvard and then later, I think Smith College, it's called, um, college students, uni students in America. And um, she said sometimes people were able to finish their degree, you know, with drugs. And that's not nothing. You know, they really, really help people sometimes. Um, but it's very unpredictable and you have to try different methods and it doesn't, it doesn't always end in a win. Mm-hmm. And there's there's often big side effects to the drugs. And I said, so what's a win like with nutrition? And she said, well, sometimes they can have bipolar or schizophrenia and go completely into remission. I mean, it's, it's again, it sounds like something that someone just made up, but there's more and more case studies like that from uh, respected psychiatrists who are trying it out and there's uh, there's studies going on all around the world to test keto for 
severe mental illness like bipolar, like schizophrenia. And the idea really is that whether you're talking about weight control, appetite control, uh, feeling more energetic like you did once you got over the, the hump and felt able to do training more, um, brain energy is no different. And so the theory really is that your mental energy needs to be working efficiently and optimally to feel at your best. And depending on what your genetics are like, that'll if it fails, that'll come out for me, like ADHD, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. For someone else, it might be bipolar. Someone else, it might be schizophrenia. But that the the likely causes are down to how your neurons and your neurotransmitters are actually built in the first place and whether they're working efficiently or not and being given the right sort of fuel. Um, and it's amazing to see, you know, uh, remission from these types of illnesses. It's amazing. And so that's, that's the, that's what I'm doing now. Since I got my diploma in health coaching, uh, I've been, you know, working with clients and increasingly moving more towards mental health because that was the the thing I, I was most passionate about that, that changed in me. And as I say, I'm now working with uh, Dr. Rachel Brown, who's a psychiatrist based in Edinburgh. And we're starting a website to coach people to better mental health. Amazing, mate. That sounds fantastic. I mean, for people listening, I know Ali said it, but I, I've not said it. Uh, me and Ali, Ali's been helping me and basically doing once a fortnight talking about this and just going through the process and talking about food addiction, what you were talking about. It's quite cool to hear other people have the same experiences and then realise that I don't think I've had depression. I think I've been poisoned by my, my, my lifestyle and my surroundings which has made me feel like I've been depressed. But as soon as I stop, you know, alcohol, drugs, eating junk food, uh, removing toxic people from my life, I'm like, oh, I feel incredible. But I actually thought there's something wrong with my brain. I never realised it was everything else. So I'm looking forward to to getting into it again. It's See, before we, if we're going to, have five minutes left or whatever, before yep. we get in there, um, if you're like you're taking coaching clients off of me, so get the fuck. But if you were to say to somebody, say somebody was listening to this and they're like, I can't afford to go to a health coach or whatever, and they were to do two or three things with their diet, what would your advice be? So I think the psycho human psychology means that people want to add things rather than take things take away. away. <laughs> but I'm going to say there's the the three things that turn up the most often in foods that can interfere with uh, making energy for your brain basically would be um, modern veg oils that you find in everything from mayo to crisps to uh, Krispy Kreme, um, sugar and flour. People get amazing results just by ruthlessly cutting those out. Right. And I say just. Does that include fruits? 
as well, just in case you get something that's like, oh, fructose is different from sugar or cane sugars or whatever. Does that include like, um, like, aye, bananas, apples, oranges, like that type of thing? It can do. You know, the keto diet, not a lot of people know that it has a more than 100 years worth of use, successful use for epilepsy control. So before there was drugs developed for epilepsy, it was the only thing people could do. And it works for, it works really well for like a third of people. It just stops their their seizures, pretty much. And quite a lot of drugs used for epilepsy are used for things like bipolar. It's no coincidence mm -hmm. um, that keto seems to be helping people with severe mental illness. And um, so, you know, removing the those those three sort of turbocharged things can be a huge win. But some people find that they need to be in ketosis, making ketones, eating a ketogenic diet. And if you're coming from a position of not great health, then fruit, eating fruit will get in the way of that, mm -hmm. most likely. And it's not to say that fruit is unhealthy because I don't think carbs are the issue or anything in the cause of all this. You know, you go back um, to the work of people like Weston Price who traveled the world hundred years ago looking at uh, so-called primitive societies and you can't find schizophrenia or um, cancer or other metabolic diseases or obesity. And it's not because they didn't have loads of food. They did have loads of food, most of them. So it's not carbs that cause it in the first place. That's a, a more complicated question, mm -hmm. but some people need to remove them in order to fix it once they're broken. Right. And so this is why I always ask, what do you like to eat? And um, how would you like to go about it? Because it needs to come from the person. And um, I think that's what makes it sustainable. But only they can know. I can't actually say, like Georgia Eade says, you know, when she was prescribing a psychiatric medication, she had to tell her, her patients, I don't know how this is going to affect you, whether it's going to work or not. And it's the same with one food versus another food. I can't say whether you need to not eat half a banana. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'll change as well. So as you heal, your metabolism will get better and better and you'll go from not being able to eat these things because they make you feel bad to perhaps further down the line being able to. But that's something that people have to try for themselves. And removing stuff's much more powerful. And that's, my guess would be the reason that, one of the main reasons that you felt better when you first went vegan was you removed all the bad stuff. You were you were eating whole foods. Yeah. And you'd removed the full fat coke and the... Um, the the kebabs and stuff with all the refined things. Yeah. That's hard though, removing stuff. Oh, it was People a, want to add goji berries. And <laughs> it was a come down. Yeah. I, I was going through a physical, uh, it was like coming off heroin. Um, Cause even, I know it's funny, right? It is funny. Like I was going over to Peru and the day before I went to Peru, I was like gorging on a kebab and I was drinking uh, Iron Brew thinking this is one last I was treating it like a death row meal one last meal totally consumed by 
addictive eating. I'm fucked with eating. I've, I, I've openly talked about this. I've started back over Eaters Anonymous. I want, I want to get back into keto and do this properly. So I feel like when I do things like OA, it is helpful for me. So yeah, I eat and how I feel. I eat for a reward. Um, I feel terrible after I eat bad food. Very hypersensitive to bad food. Even bread, I'm like, why the fuck do I eat this all the time? It makes me feel terrible. But it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I've got one question for you. Yeah. M- my friend asked me. <clears throat> She's a vegetarian that dips in and out of veganism. Mm-hmm. And she asked, can vegetarians or vegans do keto? Yeah, definitely. It's harder. Like you said, a vegan diet is, it needs supplemented. And I'm sort of at the other end of the scale. Typically, I've found that I feel best when um, you, t- you texted me before, or like, do you want anything from the shop? I said, no, I've just had a big bowl of mince. <laughs> it's like, surprise, surprise, because that's what I eat most of the time. Um, and I feel great. And I, don't, I, I think that if you, if you look up the, the nutrient content of foods, then you'll find that, you know, meat, fish and eggs, especially if they're kind of well-raised, have excellent nutrition you're not missing anything um but if for whatever reason you are veggie or vegan it is possible there's actually a really good facebook group called vegan keto made simple where they acknowledge and recommend all the the nutrients that you're missing and how to supplement them as best you can and the best sources of protein that you can get you know a lot of people do well on pea protein and that kind of thing um and vegetarianism it's quite easy actually like the the ultimate way to remove stuff to test if it's a problem for you is to do an elimination diet and i did an elimination diet for about a month where all i ate was uh egg yolks and ghee and i felt absolutely incredible and that's (laughs) vegetarian egg yolks and ghee what's ghee it's clarified butter amazing should have clarified (laughs) <laughs> but um it's a uh, science joke <laughs> <laughs> don't get many of them on this podcast <laughs> anyway. i'm quite ashamed but um i yeah you get a lot of nutrition from that and it's a great base yeah you know so uh you get loads of nutrition from the eggs and um i, I think like if people are we're going to try it for their mental health uh and they are on antidepressants or anti-anxieties, then I would definitely talk to your doctor about it because it's so powerful. It's it's like a, it's like a drug, the effect. It's very, very strong. It's actually st- stronger effect on a lot of people than most drugs. So I, I wanted to get that in there because a lot of people are on antidepressants and an- anti-anxieties and, and other drugs. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want them to think that it's something that, I, I, I want them to think it's something they can do I don't want them to think it's something that won't maybe affect that. So if they're, if they're being prescribed a drug, then they should definitely talk to the doctor about it. Fair enough. Have you got any other questions, Paul? Mum, I've done an hour on five. I've enjoyed the conversation. I've really enjoyed the conversation as well. I'm not getting preachy on the podcast. The reason why I got, I mean, I got you on because we're pals, but the reason why I got you on is because this is something that I'm going to embark on and each episode I'm going to kind of fall the punters in and how I'm going to be living that life 
um, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But that I dipped my toe into it for a month and um, that euphoric, strange high was for someone that could be, I mean, I'm hypersensitive to everything, right? And I'm fucking off my nut because I'm a comedian. But see a normal guy that's just working in a building site or something that went through that, I, I honestly think there would be like, there's something wrong with me. Because hmm. it was so, and I mean, I'm sitting on the couch, like trembling with energy because it was so uh, like euphoric, but very addictive as well. See the keto pee. I couldn't stop peeing and I felt like I was going through this uh, strange detox. It was brilliant. I'm, I need help, please. <laughs> Can you drive me to the hospital? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's kebab meat underneath the desk. <laughs> so is there anything that you would like to add before uh, we wrap up, Ali? If the punters want to check you out, what's your podcast and stuff? Yeah, the podcast, the Ali Houston Transforms podcast. The idea with the name is that I've changed a lot whilst I've been doing the podcast, but also just generally over the last 10 years or so. And um, I feel like when you have these sort of long conversations, you do something changes in both of you, which is really positive, can be really, really positive thing. Um, I, I get loads of doctors and I had a nutritionist on there, um, a dietitian, sorry, uh, and um, people who've gone through this type of transformation. Um, all sorts of folks are, who are into this. Um, really interesting. Um, and um, yeah, I've, I've got chocolate, like I say. It's called Scoundrel. Um, it's kind of like a premium sugar-free chocolate, so you can check it out at eatscoundrel.co.uk. And my new thing with Rachel Brown, the psychiatrist from Edinburgh, mental health coaching website is MetSci, which means metabolic psychiatry, M-E-T-P-S-Y.com. So you can sign up to the mailing list there and you get some cool free resources and you can find out how to work with us. So in the long run, the plan is to have a, a course that people can do where they get the information, they get some Q&A time with me and Rachel uh, about how to apply diet and lifestyle to improve their mental health. Um, and they can work in small group sessions with us if they want, or they can they can even hire us one-to-one -one if that's what they want to do. So that's uh, metsy, M-E-T-P-S-Y dot com. And um, I mean, like I've been talking to you with coaching, uh, people can do that as well if it's really about food addiction or weight or uh, they just want to improve their relationship with food then i can i can work with people to do that as well awesome mate thank you very much for coming on to the podcast um imagine if it wasn't recording <laughs> i've done that before <laughs> but... we really appreciate your time ali thanks for coming on i know that that conversation will help a lot of people thank you paul as well you want to Geez, a dab before we go. You need to date again, Don. I didn't catch you. There we go. Thanks for having us, man. Really appreciate it. No worries, mate. Take care.